Welcome to this reading of the business record for the week of November 17th. The business record is Central Iowa's Business Weekly. I'm Pat Steele. All material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. And now here is our first story. New Des Moines Conference to Focus on Employee Resource Groups and Inclusion Efforts. Employee resource groups began forming at businesses more than five decades ago. The groups create internal communities for employees to focus on networking and shared experiences of those with certain identities. One of the first formal employee resource groups was formed at Xerox in 1970 in response to racial tensions in the 1960s. The Black Employee Caucus was founded with the support of then-CEO Joseph Wilson, who encouraged black employees to create the group, according to Boston College's Center for Work and Family. A decade later, Xerox started a group that is now called the Black Women's Leadership Council. In 1978, Hewlett-Packard created the first LGBT employee resource group, according to Forbes. Today, 90% of Fortune 500 companies have employee resource groups, according to McKinsey and Company. Two Iowa organizations are partnering to host a new conference in Des Moines in February focused on the roles these groups can play in creating equitable workplaces. The Aspire to Inspire conference will emphasize empowerment of employee resource groups to take action on their knowledge of diversity equity, and inclusion issues. The conference is set to be held February 23rd and 24th at Drake University in Des Moines. Aspire to Inspire was created by Iowa Safe Schools, a nonprofit focused on creating supportive learning environments and communities for LGBTQ and allied, uh, allied youth, along with Shable Solutions Incorporated, which is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting business. Though Iowa Safe Schools in particular is known for its work on LGBTQ equity, the Aspire to Inspire conference will focus on all types of inclusion. The conference will focus on arming employee resource groups with the tools to make collective change. Employee resource groups allow employees to bring issues to the attention of leaders by saying, it's important to us, not just it's important to me, said Jordan Mix, Educational Programming Director at Iowa Safe Schools. Advocacy from a group can be more effective in getting company leaders to take action, they said. The professionals in attendance will get to practice taking action as they'll have an opportunity to put their skills to the test by engaging with high school and college students looking for future employers that align with their values. Through various programs, Iowa Safe Schools has worked with employee resource groups to assess the work they're doing to support LGBTQ youth and employees. Some of that work has focused on allies and parents of LGBTQ youth. The idea of expanding that work through hosting a conference focused on employee resource groups in partnership with Shable Solutions has been in the work since the beginning of this year. The leaders decided that they would focus on all aspects of equity and belonging. The conference comes at a time when numerous changes targeting diversity and inclusion policies have been up for discussion at the federal level and in the Iowa legislature over the past several sessions. This year, Governor Kim Reynolds passed a few into law. One law bans books with descriptions or depictions of sex acts from school libraries and prohibits instruction on gender and sexual identity until seventh grade. 
which left districts scrambling to evaluate their library materials at the start of the academic year. Two other laws banned all forms of gender-affirming medical care for minors and restricted students from using a school restroom other than the one that corresponds with their sex assigned at birth. Though a bill that would prohibit funding for DEI programming at Iowa's public universities failed to pass, the Iowa Board of Regents announced that it would freeze DEI initiatives at the state's three public institutions while they initiated a, quote, comprehensive study and review, unquote, of all such programs. During the session, more than 60 Des Moines area small businesses spoke out against proposed legislation at the Iowa State House that said that it would negatively affect the LGBTQ community. The business leaders said they believed the bills would make it more difficult for Iowa to attract and retain talent by creating an unwelcoming environment. Hannah Krauss, owner of Eden at the time, said, We're actively trying to take things away from the LGBTQ community. When you say you may not have the right to exist in the way that you do now, you might not feel as safe as you feel today. Your marriage might not be acknowledged. What choices are you leaving someone? Business leaders are going to move. Community leaders are going to move. Business owners are going to move. People just aren't going to feel like this is a place that they want to raise their families. Iowa Safe Schools has learned of numerous families that are moving to neighboring states that are more inclusive to LGBTQ folks. They've also heard from parents who are moving jobs based on insurance benefits and whether their child can receive gender-affirming care through their employer's plan. Iowans need to do everything uh, we can to attract new people, but also to retain who we have. And that's a quote from Damian Thompson. He's the Director of External Affairs at Iowa Safe Schools. He went on to say, with nearly one in five Gen Z folks identifying as LGBTQ, being inclusive and fighting against policies that make LGBTQ persons feel unwelcome is an emergent workforce issue. A major goal of Iowa Safe Schools is not just to ensure you feel supported in the present, but also help them see a future in Iowa. Mick said, we want to help LGBTQ young people feel safe and feel like this is their home. They want the young people they work with to look for careers here and not have to leave the state in order to feel like they belong. Business leaders have also been called to respond to a number of policy changes concerning social issues. After the U.S. Supreme Court's 2022 decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, ending a nearly 50-year precedent of a federal right to abortion, national companies faced increased pressure to address employees' reproductive health care within their benefits packages. Locally, companies like Principal Financial Group, Wells Fargo, Dot Dash, Meredith, and Business Solver announced expansions to benefits to include travel reimbursement for health services uh, at the time of the ruling. A number of DEI-related state and federal policy changes that have gone into effect recently have left businesses and institutions uncertain about how they must comply. In June of this year, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down affirmative action in college admissions, ruling against race-conscious admission programs at colleges and universities that receive any form of federal funding. The historic decision was expected to have effects in every aspect of the nation's economic, educational, and social life, 
from the Rooney Rule that requires a minority applicant be considered in all NFL coaching hiring decisions to employment and promotion decisions, DEI programs in schools and workplaces, and much more, and that's according to NPR. Learning how the affirmative action ruling affects business will be one of the topics at the conference. Other topics will include how to build corporate and community partnerships, techniques for empowering employees' voices, working with individuals to further collective goals, and understanding what compassion looks like in professional spaces. The first day of the conference will include putting attendees in working groups, breakout sessions, and plenaries led by some of the region's most successful advocates for sustainable organizational cultural change. Day two will allow participants the chance to put their skills to the test by engaging with some of Iowa's high school and college students and up-and-coming professionals. Youth involvement in the conference was important to Iowa safe schools, Mick said. Often conferences that include both professionals and students can focus on one-way conversations with business leaders sharing insight with the young attendees, but they want to turn that paradigm on its head. We are letting the young people have space to speak, Mick said. The students want to see examples of how employers are taking action on the issues they're passionate about. From working with the youth, they see that the next generation of the workforce is very aware of what's going on in the world, and they expect the organizations they work for to be responsive to that, they said. And Mick said, everyone wants to belong to something. Now, a couple more questions about the conference. First, about Claudia Shabo. Uh, she is the founder, president, and CEO of Shabo Solutions Incorporated and one of the organizations partnering on the Aspire to Inspire conference. And the business director asked her a couple questions. First one was, what role do employee resource groups play in workplace inclusion? And Shabo responded, Employee resource groups and business resource groups help foster an inclusive workplace and promote a sense of belonging for all employees that share an identity, whether it's gender, identity, race, and ethnicity, religious affiliation, sexuality, ability status, or veteran status. However, employee resource groups and business resource groups are designed to be welcoming and open to all employees. They enable cross-cultural understanding and celebrate diversity. Successful employee resource and business resource groups require critical mass, operating procedures, strategic planning, including alignment with your organization's DEI vision, goals, and objectives, and strong leadership support. Business Record also asked uh, Claudia Shabel, how do you foresee this conference differing from other opportunities to engage in DEI topics? The Aspire to Inspire conference will be a great opportunity for employee resource and business resource groups, leaders, and members to learn from each other, share best practices, and develop new skills to lead their respective groups effectively. The conference will inspire all attendees to continue to learn and engage in this conversation. And this uh, article from the business record was written by Emily Barsky-Wood, and she's the editor of the business record. Nebraska Entity buys Des Moines Area Warehouse property for $5.4 million. A limited liability company located in La Vista, Nebraska, has purchased a newly constructed warehouse built at 1477 Northeast 67th Place, which is an unincorporated area between Des Moines and Ankeny. LLC, um, 
the management would be done by American Fence Company, and they paid DRA Properties a Limited Corporation $5.4 million for this property. It includes a 60,000-square-foot metal warehouse whose construction was completed in 2022. The property is valued at $2.2 million. In other transactions, Samuel and Ollie Maurice paid Chad and Jennifer Hutchison just over $1 million for property at 5503 Glen Oaks Point in West Des Moines. The property includes a single-family house that was built in 2011. A to Z Assets Commercial, which is located in Johnston, paid uh, 1115154 LLC $1.35 million for property located on Southeast 37th Street in Grimes. The nearly one-acre parcel includes a 5,700-square-foot metal and brick building that previously had been used for auto repairs. United Community Services, which was located in West Des Moines, paid Guide One Mutual Insurance $2.67 million for property at 1212th Street in West Des Moines. Property includes 17,345-square-foot, one-story office building that was built in 2000. That property is valued at $1.7 million. And finally, Broadway Property paid SK Incorporated $2.6 million for property located on Southwest 9th Street in Des Moines. The property includes a retail strip center with a convenience store, fast food restaurant, and fuel pumps, and the overall property is valued at $1.53 million. Another real estate uh, article here, properties acquired for apartment project in Windsor Heights. Uh, Kathy Bolton of the, regist- of the business record, I should say, uh, wrote this article. Limited liability companies managed by two local developers have purchased properties in Windsor Heights on which a 105-unit mid-rise apartment building is planned. Millang Properties LLC, Windsor LLC, and Jensfam LLC paid Windsor Presbyterian Church of the United States of America $1.5 million for properties located on 63rd Street in Windsor Heights. The LLCs are managed by Todd Malang, a local entrepreneur and senior vice president, CRB Incorporated's Des Moines office, and Nick Jensen, who is the owner of Caliber, Iowa. Houses on the parcels will be raised this fall, Jensen told the business record. Construction of the Windsor is expected to begin the first half of 2024 with completion by early summer 2025, according to Jensen. The building would include underground parking and four floors of apartment units. Detached garages would also be included. In August, the project was awarded $1 million in Iowa workforce housing credits and sales tax refunds. In continuing with other real estate articles, CBRE Group Incorporated Central Iowa team in early 2024 will relocate its offices to a newly constructed mixed-use building located on South 60th Street in West Des Moines. That's according to Bill Wright, who's CBRE's managing director. The move is expected to be completed by mid-February. CBRE will be relocating to a new five-story mixed-use building whose master developers DRA properties. The building, which is called the Tower, will include retail, restaurant, and office space, as well as owner-occupied condominiums. Construction of the tower is nearing completion. In late 2022, CBRE Group acquired Hubble Realty Company's commercial brokerage division. 
Hubble Commercial had been CBRE Central Iowa affiliate since 1996. The Central Iowa CBRE Group has continued operating out of Hubble Realty's office in West Des Moines. In September, a building permit valued at over $1.3 million was issued for tenant improvements that are being made to the space CBRE will occupy in the tower building. Wright wrote in an email that the build-out quality, technology, and location will be the best in class. The office will combine CBRE's advisory and transaction office with its valuation and appraisal office, he wrote. About 45 people are expected to work out of the office. The new office is part of CBRE's Workplace 360 program that showcases the company's future of workspace standards, including innovative technology and a wider variety of collaborative spaces designed to support hybrid working, according to CBRE spokesperson. CBRE launched Workplace 360 in 2013. Since then, the company has opened more than 100 Workplace 360 offices worldwide. Part of the Workplace 360 model is its free address approach, where there is no assigned seating, the spokesperson wrote. Instead, teams are assigned in neighborhood work areas where they can set up in unoccupied workstations. The tower project, Wright wrote, fits well with the quality of building that we seek for a Workplace 360 project. The new office will be a showpiece for clients and hopefully work to establish the CBRE brand as best in class in the marketplace. The Workplace 360 model has helped to attract and retain employees, Wright wrote. CBRE Group, which is headquartered in Dallas, Texas, is a Fortune 500 company with over 105,000 employees that serve clients in over 100 countries. And again, Kathy Bolton of the Business Record wrote this article. Our next article is actually a column uh, written by David Elbert uh, called The Elbert Files, and he talks this week about local elections. City council and school board races in Iowa are traditionally nonpartisan, with one exception, party affiliations don't appear on ballots for city council or school board elections. Davenport is the only Iowa city that identifies candidates by the political parties. Keeping partisan politics out of local races has worked well for most communities, but I'm not sure how much longer that will last. In this day of hyper-partisanship at the state and national levels, party biases are increasingly creeping into local races. At this point, it's hard to say who is to blame. Depending on whom you ask, responses range from, oh, that doesn't happen here, to they started it. Representative Jennifer Conforest, the Democratic minority leader in the Iowa House, points out that Republicans control Iowa's entire congressional delegation, hold five of six state executive offices, including governor, and have solid majorities in both houses of the Iowa legislature. That puts Democrats at a huge disadvantage, she said, arguing Democrats need to identify and promote strong candidates for local offices if they ever hope to become competitive on a statewide basis again. When Elbert asked Polk County Auditor Jamie Fitzgerald what he thought, he said he sees more activity by both parties in local races than he did a decade ago. That's especially true in recent elections in the suburbs, he said, where you are more likely to see candidates running as teams. The most obvious example, Fitzgerald said, is Moms for Liberty, a conservative organization that supports candidates who favor using public funds for private school tuition and who oppose teaching curriculums related to the history of certain minority groups or human sexuality. 
Moms for Liberty was founded in 2021 in Florida and has chapters nationwide, including Polk Warren and Dallas counties in Iowa. The group's leaders in Johnston and Ankeny are involved in the presidential campaign of Ron DeSantis, Florida's Republican governor. Separately, the Family Leader, a right-leaning evangelical group led by one-time Republican candidate for governor Bob Vanderplatz, has endorsed four Johnston school board members. And that could be significant because all the school boards in Polk County, the most competitive races this year, were in Johnston and Ankeny. Eight candidates were vying for four at-large seats in each suburb. In both cases, there are nearly equal number of candidates who voters' registration shows them as Republicans and Democrats. Of course, party affiliations do not appear on election ballots, but in most cases, it is reasonable to assume that many voters in those two school districts also know by now which candidates identify with which party. That's been the case in Des Moines City elections for most of four decades. I can recall only two significant candidates for Des Moines mayor in that time who were registered Republicans, Christine Hensley, who was defeated by Frank County in 2003, and Jim County, Frank's cousin, who was defeated by Preston Daniels in 1997. Both Frank County and Daniels are Democrats. Both benefited significantly from work done by party functionaries in their their elections. A list of party affiliations for this year's Des Moines Council races reads like a Democratic caucus list. 14 of the 18 candidates running for the council or mayor were registered Democrats. One is a Republican. Three are registered independents. Three of the four candidates for mayor, including frontrunners, including eventual winner Connie Bozen and Josh Mundelbaum, are Democrats. The suburbs are pretty much the opposite. Among 64 suburban candidates, 31 are registered Republican, 20 are Democrats, and 13 are independents or libertarians. The real story in the suburbs is the lack of real races. In the majority of cases, the number of candidates running is exactly the same as the number of positions up for election, meaning everyone who runs wins. Notable exceptions are West Des Moines, where two candidates were running for one at-large seat, and Polk City, where five candidates, two Democrats, two Republicans, and one Independent, were running for three at-large seats. One other unusual situation involves Urbandale, where all three candidates for three at-large city council seats are registered Democrats. And again, that's uh, Albert Files. It's a column written for the business record by David Albert, and he is a columnist for the business record. Okay, our next uh, article in the business record is actually a column. It's on leadership, leading when you don't have all answers. And this is written by Suzanne DeBaca. And Suzanne is the uh, president and CEO of Business Publications Corporation, which uh, publishes the business record. And she writes, when I was younger, I assumed that leaders knew what they were doing. I worked at various companies where strategy or plans were not obvious nor not communicated well, and I was annoyed when my bosses didn't have it all figured out. Now, having led organizations, I understand clearly that leaders never have all the answers, and that's because life, the economy, and business are constantly changing. You can have a perfectly good vision and roadmap for your organization, but chances are Something will happen, and then you have to figure it out all again, all while your team is waiting for guidance. It can be easy to assume that a sign of being a great leader is having all the answers. However, often the opposite is true, says a Forbes article on this topic. No leader knows everything, but great leaders are always willing to learn and grow in their knowledge and often have ways of finding the answers they need. 
A recent Harvard Business Review article says that today's leaders increasingly face four challenges. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity are VUCA, an acronym first used by U.S. Army War College, and VUCA is V-U-C-A. These VUCA challenges are simply the reality of business today, says the article, but they're not new. They're intrinsic to markets, sales, manufacturing, and life in general. Being a leader can be hard if you feel you always have to have the answer and be right on demand. That's unrealistic and creates undue pressure and stress. It's counterproductive for you or your team to expect that you'll have all the answers all the time. However, as a leader, your job is ultimately to provide your team with directions. So even if you don't have all the answers, it is incumbent on you to quickly assess changes or situations, figure out the answers, and communicate them to your team. Here are some best practices to get you moving towards solutions and for bringing your team along, even when you don't know all the answers. First one is to be honest. Being transparent about the fact that you do not have the answer, but you're actively researching one gives everyone a sense of peace in knowing you are still leading them, and that's according to the Forbes article. Being candid without making excuses also conveys a sense of relatability. After all, no one has all the answers, and your team may be more willing to give you some time and grace if you are upfront with them. Second, communicate. As you navigate challenges and uncertainty, frequent communication is key. The more you can tell your team about the challenge, the process, and even the considerations you're having to look at to solve the problem helps them to understand the difficulty or what is involved in resolving the situation. Remember to communicate in multiple ways, in writing, verbally, and in team meetings as people absorb information differently and benefit from hearing the message in several formats. Work through the challenge. If you're not sure of the answer, use all the resources at your disposal. Ask others, conduct research, and lean on your team. Other leaders or mentors can be sounding boards. You can turn to economic data, reports, or outside experts, and you can and should reach out to your own team members who may have valuable expertise or perspective that that can help you find solutions that work. Next, update your team. Even if you have communicated once, keep your team apprised of what you're doing to find answers. In the absence of regular communication and updates, it is human nature to draw conclusions. If you don't update your team, they will often assume you don't know what you're doing, that you're not working on the issue, or you're not paying attention to their needs. You don't have to have all the information on hand to update your team that you are still working on a problem. You can still share the research you're doing, the process you're employing, or provide estimated timelines. Giving frequent updates can build trust while you're figuring things out. And finally, pose questions and use data. The HBR article from Forbes asserts that decision-making doesn't always improve with more data. When life is stable and transparent, more data leads to better decisions, the authors say. But when life turns choppy or murky, data gets fragile and elusive. More data is not an option, and to seek it produces passivity, mission creep, and hesitation. You may not be able to get all the information you need, so practice trusting your judgment, drawing on past experience, and using active questioning to help you get to the routine. And Suzanne uh, concludes with this comment. Today's marketplace is changing rapidly. Markets, technology, consumer preferences, supply chains, and the economy are all evolving and changing. 
As a leader, you will never know all the answers, and it is unrealistic to put that kind of pressure on yourself. Great leaders are willing to admit they don't know everything and then work quickly to find the best answer and to communicate along the way with their teams. And the best leaders know as soon as they find the answer, the situation will probably change again because that is just how life works. And again, this is a column on leadership written by Susanna DeBaca, who's the president and CEO of Business Publications Corporation. You're listening to this week's edition of the Business Record, November 17th. Our thanks to the folks at Business Publications for providing a copy of the Business Record to Iris so that we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS programs, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. Now back to the business record. Artswork launches Online Iowa Artist Directory. A new online Iowa Artist Directory is now active with 100 listings in more than 20 countries so far. Artswork is a year-round sister organization of the Des Moines Arts Festival and created the free directory to help artists showcase their work in various media, including dance, design, education, media, music, theater, visual arts, and writing. Organizations and businesses that support artists can also post their services as well as opportunities for auditions, commissions, grants, and more. Organizations like ours are constantly being asked for a list of muralists, musicians, educators, and more. Arts Work and Des Moines Arts Festival Executive Director Stephen King said in a statement, This new site allows the user to create their own list by searching by discipline or by Iowa County to find the artist that merits their needs. Arts Work started working on the site more than two years ago to fulfill a need identified by Bravo Greater Des Moines. The website was created locally by Fahim Consulting with financial support from a grant from the Iowa Arts Council, which is a part of the Iowa Economic Development Authority. Our next article is entitled Overcoming Cultural Blindness in a Virtual Work Environment. Globalization and the proliferation of technology in workplaces have led to the establishment of virtual teams. The growth of virtual teams is projected to continue. A June 2021 Harvard Business Review article states that 89% of white-collar workers, at least occasionally, complete projects in global virtual teams where team members are dispersed around the planet and rely on online tools for communication. Similarly, the 2022 Bureau of Labor Statistics report that stated that 34% of U.S. workers were in remote work. A critical and largely overlooked issue during virtual meetings is the lack of knowledge and comprehension of cultural disparities among team members. According to Andy Malinsky at Brandeis University, American companies have been global for a very long time now, but many people inside companies still misperceive and misunderstand cultural differences. Often, the organizers of virtual meetings prioritize technical and scheduling issues while overlooking the impact of cultural disparities a phenomenon referred to as cultural blindness. Cultural blindness is defined as a social and psychological concept and refers to a lack of awareness and recognition of cultural differences within groups. This oversight leads to the imposition of the dominant group's values, beliefs, and modes of conduct onto others. This concept is best explained by example of racial color blindness where individuals argue they don't see race so they treat people of all races in the same exact way. 
Likewise, cultural blindness enforces a standardized set of values and behavior expectations on all team members, disregarding their cultural diversity, ethics, and beliefs. Cultural blindness happens when individuals or organizations highlight the commonalities and uniformity of team members while neglecting their differences. They adopt standardized policies inadvertently and unintentionally promoting and perpetuating cultural blindness. A lack of comprehensive scientific data makes it difficult to quantify its effect, yet a few research studies have analyzed this issue and drawn some generalizations. First, supervising virtual teams. Effectively supervising and communicating with virtual teams can be challenging because of their diverse social, cultural, and ethical backgrounds. Challenges in establishing trust. Building trust is vital to successful partnerships and team building. Cultivating trust among team members who might not have face-to-face interactions can be challenging. Next, the tendency to view one's culture as superior and stereotyping others can create create misgivings and hinder productivity. These issues are prevalent when teams based in their home country attempt to impose their viewpoints and operational approaches on members from other locations. And finally, communication challenges. Team members from diverse backgrounds may have specific verbal and nonverbal communication preferences. Thus, it may be problematic for others to understand the subtleties of their colleagues' communication styles and actions. Effective collaboration within virtual teams can be achieved and cultural blindness can be addressed by applying the following strategies. First, incorporate inclusive rather than task-oriented leadership. In the Harvard Business Review article, Burke and Titus highlight that leadership accounts for up to 70% difference in sense of inclusion. The primary characteristics of inclusive leadership are visible commitment, humility, awareness of biases, curiosity about others, and cultural intelligence. Second, build intercultural competence. Virtual team members must acknowledge and respect that diverse communication styles, values, and beliefs of individuals from other cultures impact the dynamics of cross-cultural teams. Next, manage time zone variations. In addition to being mindful of time zone disparities when scheduling virtual meetings, it is essential to consider the specific days of the week employees work, their work hours, and the holidays they observe. Next, deal with conflicts. Handling conflicts in a culturally diverse workplace can present multiple challenges. Conflicts can be prevented by conducting regular team meetings, providing opportunities to express concerns, creating shared online workspaces, and celebrating collective achievements. Next, implement cross-cultural training. The primary aim should be to encourage cultural sensitivities, appreciation, empathy, and respect for diverse perspectives while minimizing the risk of cultural insensitivities in team building and collaborative efforts. And finally, enhance communication. Virtual teams often struggle with communication due to lack of face-to-face interactions, misinterpretations of messages, delays in responses, and difficulty in building rapport are some of the common issues. There are multiple challenges in virtual teams. Embracing cultural diversity enhances teamwork and produces innovative and productive solutions. Ultimately, by prioritizing cultural awareness, 
organizations can forge stronger connections, build trust, and unlock the full potential of global collaboration in the virtual age. This was a column written by Harwant Kush, a PhD, a research consultant who works at Terrell International in central Iowa. The Greater Des Moines Partnership presented 2023 Inclusion Awards during its 11th Annual Inclusion Summit. The awards honored and celebrated the success of organizations that have championed diversity, equity, and inclusion in their businesses, organizations, and in the community, according to a news release. The award winners were Oak Ridge Neighborhood, small organization category with 1 to 150 employees. For organizations with 151 to 500 employees, the winner was IMT Insurance. For companies that employ 500 employees or more, Bankers Trust. The City of West Des Moines was selected as the winner of the public entity category. And Iowa Jobs for Americans Graduates was the winner of the Inclusion Award in nonprofit category. Organizations had to be a regional member or invest in the partnership to qualify for the Inclusion Awards. A selection committee composed of members of the Partnerships Inclusion Council and the Partnership Team evaluated the applications. Marvin DeGier, Chief Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Officer at the Partnership, said in a news release, This year's honorees have exhibited a purposeful dedication to propelling their businesses on the DEI path and leaving a profound mark in their communities. They devoted themselves to investing time and energy into affecting substantial change within their organizations and well beyond. During the summit, the DSM-4 Equity Collective unveiled the Central Iowa Equity Dashboard with data powered by United Way of Central Iowa. DSM-4 Equity is designed to increase equity by connecting the region to local data, resources, and community initiatives. Ag Certain continues its expansion with a new rail spur. This is an article written by Michael Crum of the Business Record. Ag Certain, the maker of food products and renewable chemicals, recently broke ground on a new rail spur to better serve its growing campus in Boone. The Ames-based Ag Certain is focused on products and services that meet the growing demand from consumers who want to know where their products come from. The rail spur is part of phase three of the company's expansion of its 120-acre campus in Boone, where it receives and sends glycerin and edible oils with support of the Boone and Scenic Valley Railroad. Daniel O, Ag Certain President and CEO, said the company built some rail in 2019 when it began operating in Boone, but it now needs to expand that capacity. He said that will allow for greater volumes of freight as we've expanded and improved our production facility there. It follows the completion of Phase 2 last year, which involved the acquisition of an acreage to put in a tank farm, an area to store oils and biochemicals in large tanks, and upgrades inside the facility allows us in one of our three edible oil refineries to process just about anything the world can make that would be delivered to the Midwest for refining and then sales on to consumers, O said. O created Ag Certain in 2018 and declined to place the specific value of the company's growth and boom, but said it is in the tens of millions of dollars. This is well into eight figures. Egg Certain has added a few dozen very high-quality jobs in the site, O said, and as we expand over time, I think we'll end up with a couple hundred jobs out there, but that will take over 10 years to do that. The bigger benefit of the Egg Certain operation is the specialty processing, marketing, and distribution capabilities, O said. 
He continued, so farmers and producers in the area can begin adjusting if they wish to these specialty crops that need a place to be processed and sold from. One of our goals is to ensure that as products and crops are being upgraded in the Midwest, more of their value stays in the Midwest. Ohl cited the increased difficulty of exporting products overseas because of supply chain disruption, saying there is demand for greater flexibility in manufacturing capability and an ability to switch to other products quickly. He said, we think we're going to add greater value to the marketplace that are purchased at ultimately higher prices. We're building out a capability that is absent in Iowa to the scale we're doing, and this will help connect to other supply and value chains that you hear a lot about with Cultivation Corridor, Iowa State University, and the general central Iowa area where we can further cement the knowledge in the area. O said another project that will be announced next year is the construction of a wastewater treatment facility to treat and reuse industrial wastewater. Wastewater processing is super important because it lowers carbon intensity and helps other companies in the area to have a place that's closer to deliver to get their stuff processed and then we'll reuse that water in other processes, O said. This will lead us building biogas generation on the side, lead us toward fermentation and making other value-added products with local sugars, including glycerin and corn sugars, and allow us to do contract manufacturing for others as well as our own products. O said that Central Iowa is a great location for Ag Certain to operate and expand. We have a great employee base and a critical mass of knowledge that we can pull from. We are in Boone on the Union Pacific Railroad right off Interstate 35 and State Highway 30, so we have really good logistics, and Iowa State provides an annual supply of really smart, talented folks who are inclined to do the kind of work we do. Ohl said the area is also well-suited to address the challenge of getting customers what they want, when they want it, and at an affordable price. All the assets that think through it are here, he said. It just works well to build the next level of complexity. Ten communities received $925,000 in Main Street Iowa Challenge grants. The Iowa Economic Development Authority awarded $925,000 in Main Street Iowa Challenge grants to 10 communities around the state. The grants will help redevelop or rehabilitate underused buildings in an effort to stimulate economic growth and advance investment in Iowa's historic Main Streets. Projects include removing a metal slip cover from a historic building in downtown Spencer to unmask its original facade and reveal historic window openings, revitalizing a vacant derecho damaged building in uptown Marion, and transforming a vacant historic building in downtown Burlington into an old-fashioned ice cream shop. The grants are administered through the Iowa Economic Department Authority's Iowa Downtown Resource Center and Main Street Iowa Programs. The funding will be distributed in the form of matching grants to the selected Main Street programs. The estimated total cost of these 10 projects is over $3.5 million. Debbie Durham, the director of the Iowa Economic Development Authority, said in a statement, The Main Street Iowa Challenge grants help us to revitalize and reinvest in our traditional commercial districts, which is good business. It's good for our economy and good for our state. These projects will bring new businesses and new residents to our downtown areas and districts. The Greater Des Moines Partnership has launched a site readiness program called DSM RFI Ready, which highlights 16 sites available to view for those looking to start or grow their business in Des Moines. 
DSM RFI Ready identifies development sites in the 11 county region that have documented the most common criteria required when responding to a request for information from site selection consultants and corporate real estate executives from across the country and the world. Users can access the data and information needed to identify their preferred site. DSM RFI Ready adds another key tool to the partnership's toolbox to help businesses approach site selection in Greater Des Moines. Stacy Lovan, Vice President of Economic Development of Partnership, said in a prepared release. She said, by presenting information on accessible sites, it helps the partnership move quickly to respond to potential economic development projects. And some of those sites include El Tuna, Oskaloosa, their innovation park, uh, Van Meter's vision park, a uh, spot on Highway 5 near Des Moines called Colth, uh, Altoona, another spot there, Legacy at Crosswords Business Park, and that's in Ankeny, another spot in Ankeny at the Metro North Business Park, Pleasant Hills uh, Commerce Park, and then a spot in Stewart, uh, Iowa, at their rail park. And some other spots around include 10200 uh, Plum Drive in Urbandale, uh, Portfolio Number 3 in Altoona, Centerpoint Business Park in Urbandale, Dreyer Land, and that's in Adair, General Manufacturing Company, that's in Des Moines, and Gorsh Property in Des Moines, and finally Metal View, I'm sorry, Metal Land 2, uh, Skivvy Land, and that's in Altoona. So those are some of the spots that Greater Des Moines Partnership has identified. Four projects proposed in Des Moines have been awarded tax credits through Iowa's Historic Preservation Tax Credit Program. That is an announcement from the Iowa Economic Development Authority. The projects are among 13 historic renovations to receive over $25 million in tax credits from the program. Projects are scored based on readiness, financing, and local support and participation. Projects in Des Moines that were awarded the tax credits include the Carpenter Place Project that's located on 106 Southwest 7th Street. Tim Ripma has proposed renovating the four-story warehouse that was built in 1918. It includes over 46,800 square feet of space. Proposed building improvements include the restoration of windows that have been blocked with bricks or other materials, tuck pointing and other masonry repairs, replacement of heating and cooling systems, and possibly replacement of exterior materials on the building's north facade, according to city information. In addition, a floor will be raised to create proper window views for use by new tenants. The project was awarded over $4.7 million in tax credit. Second project awarded money was the former Klein Department Store building that's located on uh, 6th Avenue, actually 3614 6th Avenue. The structure, built in phases beginning in 1905, is being redeveloped to include commercial space on the first floor and one-bedroom apartments on the uh, second floor. The project was uh, provided $763,661. Third, the former North Des Moines Hall, and that's located at 1601 6th Avenue. It's a two-story brick structure. It was built in 1888 and is believed to be one of the oldest surviving commercial buildings in the Des Moines area. The first floor will be converted to commercial space. The second floor will include four apartments. The project was provided $580,787. And finally, the former Kingsway Cathedral, that's located at 901 19th Street High Point Church, now 
I'm sorry, former Kingsway Cathedral, and that's located at 901 19th Street. High Point Church now operates out of the historic building that has been renovated. The project received $797,500. In addition to those four, a project in Newton to convert four historic buildings into a boutique hotel and market-rate apartments was awarded over $6.9 million in tax credits. The buildings are on the former Maytag corporate campus, now known as Newton Legacy Plaza Campus. Christensen Development purchased the properties in spring of 2023. The Historic Preservation Tax Credit Program is administered by the Iowa Economic Development Authority. The next application round for large projects opens in January, and applications then will be due on March 18th. Iowa Workforce Development announced Thursday that it was approved to become a third-party administrator for the United States Department of Defense Skill Bridge Program, a nationwide initiative that will allow service members to spend the last six months of their tours of duty serving in internships at various private businesses. The relationship will allow Iowa employers to bypass the usual Department of Defense process and instead work directly with Iowa Workforce Development to start the program within their companies. The Department of Defense estimates that about 200,000 members of U.S. Armed Forces leave active military service every year for more than 140 military installations in the United States and abroad. Under the program, the Department of Defense pays a service member's salary and benefits for up to six months while that person receives on-the-job training at a private employer. Elsewhere from the November 17th edition of the Business Record, Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Nag announced that Google, through a grant to the Iowa Nutrient Research and Education Council, will provide $150,000 in funding to support ongoing Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship-led batch and build water quality projects that are in progress around Iowa. Iowa's batch and build model modernizes the project management process by installing batches of conservation practices on multiple farms at once, therefore allowing a faster acceleration of water quality progress, according to a news release. The model is used to install edge-of-field practices such as bioreactors and saturated buffers that filter and denitrify water before it enters the waterways. The Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship currently has eight batch and build projects in motion with more in planning phases. The funding will provide financial support to alleviate bottlenecks, encourage practice adoption, and fill in gaps not covered by state or federal funding. Iowa State has been recognized for spurring innovation, talent, and economic well-being. It received the Top Innovation Economic Prosperity University Award uh, this week at the Association of Public and Land-Grant Universities Conference. The event honors institutions that are performing exemplary work to advance the economic well-being of their states, regions, and the nation, according to a press release. This was the first year that Iowa State has received the top award, which recognizes overall excellence across three award categories, talent, place, and innovation. Winning the top award affirms that Iowa State University is a national leader in research, innovation, and entrepreneurship, said Iowa State President Wendy Witterstein. The award highlighted four examples of Iowa State's innovation and entrepreneurial resources, the Iowa State Venture Mentoring Service, the Ivy Sales Forum, the BioCentury Research Farm, and Agricultural Innovation Lab.
Scott Jean, president and CEO at EMC Insurance Companies in Des Moines, received the Distinguished Alumni Award from the Iowa State's Department of Mathematics during a ceremony earlier this month in Ames. The award recognizes distinguished alumni and friends from the department, according to a press release from the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences at Iowa State. Gene began his career with EMC Insurance as an intern in 1991 and joined full-time after graduating from Iowa State in 1993 with the bachelor's degree in mathematics. He has served in various roles with the company, including as vice president and chief actuary and executive vice president of finance and strategy before becoming president and CEO in March 2020. Gene serves as the chairman and chief executive officer of EMC National Life, an EMC affiliate that offers life insurance products. He is also a fellow of the Casualty Actuarial Society and a member of the American Academy of Actuaries. DMAC broke ground Tuesday on a new $9 million DMAC Transportation Institute on Des Moines' north side. DMAC, of course, is Des Moines Area Community College. The new facility will be named after DMAC alumnus and agribusiness executive Dennis Albaugh, who donated $1 million to the project. Additional funding includes a $1 million grant from the state of Iowa, a $500,000 donation from Kent Corporation, and a $50,000 donation from Bob and Jane Sturgeon. The two-phase project will begin with construction of a new 8,600-square-foot building featuring classrooms, a three-story inspection bay, and student study space. Additionally, the Institute's current 12-acre concrete training course, which is where students practice driving techniques, will be replaced. The project's second phase will focus on tearing down the current DMAC Transportation Institute facility, which was built 35 years ago. According to a news release, the current DMAC Transportation Institute facility is aging and has no capacity left to grow the number of students in the program. Rob Denson, DMAC president, said in a statement, the new building and training ground will allow us to double the program's capacity and result in a significant increase in enrollment. The institute will graduate 250 students this year. Founded in 1988, the DMAC Transportation Institute offers a three-week course that includes a 15-hour online theory class and a behind-the-wheel driving course. Iowa Department of Transportation testing is included for those who successfully complete the training. Holmes Murphy is providing 100,000 philanthropic contributions to 25 nonprofit organizations across the United States, including six in Iowa, through the Holmes Murphy Foundation Community Footprints Program. The nonprofits in Iowa that will receive funding from the program are Can Do Cancer, Can Play, and Count the Kicks in Central Iowa. Indian Creek Nature Center and I Know Jack Foundation, Cedar Rapids, and Tri-County Opportunities Council in Davenport. The Holmes Murphy Foundation Community Footprints Program allows employees to select 501c3 or nonprofit organizations in their specific geographical locations that align with the Holmes Murphy Foundation giving pillars of safety, health, and well-being, youth opportunities, arts and culture, and diversity, equity, and inclusion, according to a press release. Our goal at Holmes Murphy will always be to make a difference at work, home, and in our communities. Dan Keel, Holmes Murphy chairman and CEO, said this in a prepared statement. He added, we believe in supporting organizations that are authentic and that will help us sustain a culture where every person is, supposed, is supported to reach their fullest ability.
And you've been listening to the business record on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. I'm Pat Steele. It's been my pleasure to read for you again this week. And thank you for sharing your time with IRIS. Thank you.